0: Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today for episode 219, my guest is Nadav Cohen of Shored Bits, and we're talking about discrete log contracts. So if you wanted to know what those are, this is the episode for you. This show brought to you by SwanBitcoin.com, the best place to auto-stack your Bitcoin in the US with incredibly easy setup and low fees. I personally appreciate that Swan is Bitcoin only and dedicated to Bitcoin education. They want you to hold your own keys and withdraw your coins. If you've got pre-coiner or new coiner friends in the US, this is a great place to send them. One of the big positives of regular recurring buyers is smoothing out price volatility set and forget just enjoy your life with swan they pull the us dollar from your bank account buy the bitcoin and withdraw to your cold storage go to swanbitcoin.com/lavera to get $10 of free bitcoin when you start stacking with swan next nox is a bitcoin custodian dedicated to ensuring their insurance protection covers the full value of their customers assets for example suppose a fiduciary wants to hold 250 million dollars of bitcoin with nox Knox will seek to obtain $250 million of insurance dedicated exclusively to that account and adjustable to volatility. No fractional coverage or narrow scope. Insurance for what it's worth, a tool to transfer risk. If you are a Bitcoin company, investment fund, trust or family office, check out Knox for your insured custody. That's knoxcustody.com. And finally, Unchained Capital, Bitcoin native financial services. Unchained are doing great work to make multi-signature accessible to you, whether you are an individual or a business. So if you're thinking about your Bitcoin security, consider going from zero to multi-signature with Unchained. You can either build it yourself or you can get assistance. They've got a vault concierge onboarding package. You pay a fee, you can have hardware wallet devices mailed to you and have guided setup calls and build your vault together and put $1,000 of Bitcoin into that vault. So go there and use the code Lavera for a discount. There's a link in the description. Unchained have also recently launched cold card support in their Vault product also. So make sure you go and check that out, as well as the range of content and open source contributions available over at unchained-capital.com. Nadav, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So Nadav, I've been following your work for a little while. Obviously, I uh, really uh, I like reading your blog posts over at Shored Bits and I had the chance to meet you earlier this year in London. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what's your role with Shored Bits?
1: Yeah, um, so I am a software engineer at Shored Bits. I've been working there since I graduated college uh, a bit over two years ago. Um, I've been primarily working on, uh, kind of the open source side of things with, um, Bitcoin S, which is the Scala library for Bitcoin and, uh, primarily working a lot with, uh, discrete log contracts in the last, uh, many months. Uh, and I also dabble a bit in various lightning, uh, related things as we do at shirt Bits. And yeah, I write a lot of blog posts also. So that's,
0: uh most of what I do. <laughs> awesome. So today we're going to focus on DLCs and I think it'd be great to talk on, on the what are the key things that people need to know about DLCs because they might have heard about it a little bit here and there but they don't they might not have really dived taken the time to dive into this. So do you want to start by telling us well, what is a DLC?
1: Yeah so DLC stands for discrete log contract. Uh, the name itself is actually a pun. Discrete is like misspelled to be like Uh, hidden or uh, not hidden. What's a better word? Like private, so to speak. Um, So yeah, a discrete log contract is a uh, blockchain contract. Uh, It's possible to do on Bitcoin, which is what we're implementing it on, uh, which is enforced uh, through a digital signature, specifically a Schnorr digital signature off-chain that is provided by an oracle. So essentially, uh, on, on kind of just the low-level like Bitcoin contracting side of things, a discrete log contract is just um, a contract which is contingent on a uh, discrete log, as you might imagine, uh, where the discrete log in this case is a signature. So uh, we can get more into what all of that means and why it's called that later, but uh, at a high level, a discrete log contract is simply Uh, a group of people come together, make an agreement about, um, you know, if the Oracle says that this real world event happened, then we are going to have these payouts and say, like, you know, super simple example, uh, say, uh, like, me and Stefan wanted to uh, have a little contract uh, to see whether or not Bitcoin was going to go like, over 100k by the end of the year or something like that and you know one of us could go over one could go under and then uh, we could put some bitcoin into a shared uh, output on the blockchain and then based on what the price was uh, according to what an oracle says it was we would then distribute the funds accordingly um, in a kind of non-custodial derivative kind of fashion
0: great and so i guess to zero in on that question of why would i use a dlc then I guess it's a different level of trust. Is that why yeah. we would use a DLC as opposed to just say, I just go to a betting website and I just make a bet on that centralized, openly centralized website.
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the main feature I would say, uh, that separates DLCs from other ways of doing, uh, these kinds of contracts is uh, custodianship. Uh, so you don't have to trust kind of your, um, matchmaking service to actually hold any of your Bitcoin or or deal with any of that. Uh, One of the main uh, nice things about DLCs is is that uh, at no point, you know, are you relying on anyone else uh, other than maybe the Oracle, which we can get into, to uh, determine kind of what happens with these funds. Like it's you and another party directly putting these funds into this contract that's enforced on chain uh, without any third parties needed. Yeah. Um and it also uh has uh the added benefit of um kind of along the same lines uh they're more private. So rather if you're using like a centralized service, you know, the centralized service knows what everyone is doing at all times. Um and with a discrete log contract, uh the actual contract, the thing that ends up on chain is uh pretty vanilla like it, it doesn't really reveal anything about uh what your contract actually is most of the magic happens off chain similar to how uh if you see like uh two of two multi-sig on chain uh today you know you can't know whether that's lightning or whether that's like you know two friends sharing some bitcoin or one person with multiple keys or any of these kinds of things i think that uh Yeah. So, and and it turns out, uh, DLCs today have the exact same on-chain footprint as like a lightning channel. Well, not not the. I I should specify. Uh, prior to actual execution, they look exactly the same as an open lightning channel. Um, afterwards, things get a little bit more detailed and hairy. But um, yeah, essentially, there's almost no uh, on-chain footprint for a DLC, especially uh, at no point even. in in any scenario, do you actually have to reveal to the world kind of what the entirety of your contract is? You just reveal like the actual uh, payouts of of what happened. And uh, yeah, so I guess the the main two benefits of discrete log contracts over say, like, you know, using BitMEX or something like this is uh, you custody
0: and privacy. Do we have a sense of the size of the market for this? And I guess just naively, we might we might be thinking, oh, hang on, is this thing just for degen gamblers or are there actually real businessmen who might use this kind of product?
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so I mean, I guess I have a couple different answers. Uh, one is that, um, I mean, I think that when it comes to Bitcoin, like so far one of the most successful, you know, killer apps that that Bitcoin has to do with is is trading. And so, uh, you know, I would say that uh, if we achieve nothing else with discrete log contracts, at the very least, you know, we we open the door for things like decentralized exchanges and, and these kinds of things to uh, occur in kind of the best way they can, or at least I believe that DLCs are kind of the way of doing that. But then, you know, that aside, you also have all of the kind of, you know, normal things that, uh, you know, Derivatives kind of give to businesses, so you know you can hedge um, uh, against you know really any index you want. Um, you can you can really make kind of take any position against any real world thing. You know, be that like the price of corn or the hash rate or um, you know whether or not the Patriots win the Super Bowl. Or, you know, whatever else it is you want to uh, take a position on, you can kind of um, do that. And you can do that without kind of needing permission from anyone to do so.
0: Great. And so maybe just to make that a little bit more real for listeners, what might it look like in the future? Would they have some kind of wallet that also has a DLC function and then they would select an Oracle and then have a counterparty or what would it look like?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think there will be kind of a mix of things out there that are all kind of underlying, you know, under the hood, they're all using the same protocol underneath. Um, So certainly I think that there will be wallets that kind of let you uh, do DLCs in various ways. You know, we're working on integrating DLCs into the Bitcoin S wallet. Um, I know that uh, Nicolas Dorier is working on integrating DLCs into BTC Pay server. So they'll they'll pop, you know, they'll pop up in a bunch of wallets, I think, certainly. I think also that there will be kind of platforms that are interested in facilitating matchmaking uh, for various kinds of, uh, you know, contracts or instruments, financial instruments. Uh, So, for example, you know, I could imagine that like you could connect to Bitfinex with like some desktop app and Bitfinex would then facilitate like matchmaking for people. But then, you know, once a match is made, you don't actually go through Bitfinex to enter into this position. You just go straight peer to peer and enter into this position. And I also think that there's a possibility that in the future, you'll have something that looks a bit more like lightning where like there's like a P2P DLC network or or something a bit more decentralized where, um, you know, Oracle signatures are being gossiped around and I don't know, maybe you have some way of doing matchmaking, uh, one way or another, uh, or maybe you're just connected to a bunch of market makers or however it might be, um, where, where you can just in an entirely peer to peer manner kind of find DLCs if there's a position you want to enter in. Um, yeah, but I guess a lot of it also just depends on like what you want to use DLCs for, um, yeah, because I mean, for trading, I think it makes a lot of sense for, you know, things like exchanges or things like decentralized exchanges to kind of facilitate, you know, people finding each other. But, you know, you can also kind of do the, uh, you know, the IRC or Twitter DMs kind of matchmaking or, you know, just tweet <laughs> out like, you know, th- this is how it's it's worked. This is how it works today, so to speak. Like, you know, Nicolas Daurier tweets out like, I want to bet on the US election. And then, you know, Chris Stewart of... Shared bits uh you know it's like you know <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll take you on let's let's enter into a DLC and then you know you just go do that uh peer to peer so yeah i think i think there are a lot of different ways that it could end up happening it's kind of too soon to know how widespread or unique or niche i guess it'll be but right now uh you know if you want to enter into a DLC today which is possible um it takes a little bit more work than it will in the future but um if you want to enter into a DLC today, then uh, I think it's mainly integrated into wallets and uh, DLC-specific libraries. But um, yeah, I mean, we're working on a specification so that you can just kind of support DLCs wherever you want, where uh, you know you have keys and Bitcoin lying around, you can uh, safely enter into DLCs with you know anyone
0: else using any other client. Great, and so. I'm hearing there that some of that is just going to be people making bets against each other and some of that will be trading and some of that will just be actually, there will be business cases in the sense of business people or traders who want to do things like maybe you're a miner and you want to express a certain view about the hash rate or energy pricing and that is where maybe there's a link back to underlying bitcoin businesses correct
1: totally yeah yeah so yeah i mean you know any, anything that uh, an oracle can put a number two and just broadcast out uh you know you can make a contract that is contingent on that and also contingent maybe on other things you know you can make kind of these composite positions or um yeah i mean yeah so i, I think i i agree with what you said it's it's mostly kind of trading and all of the things that you get out of trading instruments existing, which, you know, hedging is usually the the thing to think about.
0: And maybe it would be useful to just think from a comparative perspective there. So let's say, um, you know, Nicola Doria and Chris Stewart, they're doing this bet. Now they could theoretically have just gone for, okay, let's just do multi-signature. We'll find a trusted person in the community mm-hmm. and they will be the you know the third key in a 2 of 3 setup and blah 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 could yeah. you just outline for us a little bit how to think about the difference there of doing it as a dlc versus doing just with on-chain multisig today
1: totally yeah so um if you were going to do a 2 of 3 kind of what you know i would call like an escrow position where you find some escrow to uh kind of decide where the funds go in case of disagreement um i think that this has some interesting use cases but uh dlc's are clearly going to end up being superior and here's why so essentially um the key difference between a discrete law contract oracle and kind of a traditional like you know third party escrow kind of like uh you just described in in this scenario where we kind of just get a you know third party person who we both trust to you know decide where the funds go and in what quantities um so yeah the biggest difference is that um discrete log contract oracles are at least in some sense oblivious. So they don't know about their users. Um, they don't know what contracts exist. They don't know how they're being used even. So if you're signing, say a price, um, anyone can construct any contracts they want, you know, they can go long, they can go short, they can do a strangle or a wedge or, you know, do whatever fun funky payout curve me and, uh, Ben at SharedBits, we were chatting the other day of like how maybe for privacy reasons, someone might want to do like a sine curve looking like, you know, oscillating payout function that doesn't really mean anything. Um, But yeah, anyway, so point is that uh, discrete log contract oracles don't know who their users are. They kind of are these entities that just broadcast signatures of things they see publicly. Um, And that's kind of all they do. They uh, don't know about their users, whereas in the escrow case... Uh, bribery becomes more of a concern. Because, you know, say, like, I'm, I see that I'm going to lose, well, I'd be willing to give up, like, almost all of those funds, since I'm going to get zero, say, I I would be willing to give up, like, all but a couple thousand sats for, you know, you to sign the other way, because then I'm at least make something instead of nothing. So, um, yeah, I guess, I mean, if, if you truly trust the person, and they're trustworthy, then I think, you know, Sure. I mean, when you have trust, you don't need heavy machinery, but kind of as, as far as the, uh, spectrum of trust goes, I would say that kind of escrows require the most trust. Um, and they, uh, you know, are maybe the simplest way to go. Uh, DLCs require very little trust, at least comparatively. And, you know, we can get into ways of, mitigating trust by, you know, using more than one oracle and, you know, having fraud proofs for oracles. So, you know, this oblivious entity that's, whose only job is to sign what happens in the world, you know, it's very, making sure that any time that they cheat or they sign something that they shouldn't have, or they sign multiple things or, you know, do kind of any oracle bad behavior, it's fully traceable and fully provable kind of to the rest of the world, um, that, you know, this oracle shouldn't be trusted. Um, yeah. And I think that also kind of the ecosystem that I expect to eventually sprout out around oracles, uh, is, is going to be based in, um, kind of you, you want your oracles to be trustworthy. So I guess, uh, this might be getting into kind of a, a different comparison. So if you compare, discrete log contract oracles to say some of these very, very complicated decentralized oracle schemes that you see on platforms like Ethereum. I I personally don't find decentralized oracles to be too appealing uh, because it kind of seems like you're, you know, you're, you have this problem, which is that trust is required in order to do anything that requires information from outside of just like transaction data. So, you know, say I want like the Bitcoin price or, um, you know, any, any other thing that happened in the real world, uh, who won the election, for example, you need to trust something to give you like a digital signature of what actually happened in the real world. And if the thing that, or, you know, one solution is don't trust one thing, trust like many, many, many small things or, you know, anonymous uh, entities that you don't know and aren't necessarily very trustworthy. But, you know, so long as like maybe some weird game theory happens and, you know, shelling points or some other argument for like why this process should result in truth is kind of my my framing of how I think about decentralized oracles. Uh, whereas with um, discrete log contract oracles, I think of it as more um, the solution is, yes, you should trust um, uh multiple or, or you should spread your trust but not too thinly should spread your trust between trustworthy like sources right so like people are willing to trust bitfinex I think much more than they're willing to trust like some random scheme of pseudonymous people who may all be actually just one person gaming everyone else or like something like this <laughs> a Sybil so attack I think, or something yeah so I think with decentralized oracles you have a lot more to worry about when it comes to like gaming the system, uh, where, you know, it's kind of uh, similar, maybe just this is a bad analogy, but it's it's somewhat similar to like, you know, the concerns between or comparing proof of stake to proof of work, where like, you might worry that in a, a staking system, or like in this decentralized Oracle, you know, one person with the most wealth or most resources might be able to just dictate the truth is kind of how it plays out. Whereas in this proof of work system, it's based on like something in the real world that you need to like exhaust in in the case of proof of work or in the case of discrete law contract oracles. In this analogy, in the real world, you need to like have a reputation and have like, you know, a public image that people trust and maintain that by, you know, being a good oracle and all of these kinds of things. So I think, um, yeah, I guess that's that's a loose analogy. But I, I think that... At, at its core, discrete log contracts are, or part of what discrete log contracts are, is kind of a proposal for, um, not necessarily a solution to the Oracle problem, but uh, you know the, the Oracle problem isn't solvable so much as I think a better framing is. So for those who don't know, the Oracle problem is just kind of the problem I described of you want to do something in the digital world, uh, but you have no way of verifying that, like, the thing happened that you that happened in the real world other than trusting some oracle. Uh, or, you know, oracle meaning like a black box, you know, that could be a set of entities or one or two or something like this. So I think that these are all kind of different answers to like how to solve the oracle problem, right? One is like pick someone you trust and put them in a two of three multi-sig. Uh, one of them is like do some weird game theory things that seem to, you know, occasionally, you know, people find ways to game them and all sorts of other problems and complexity. And then for discrete log contracts, kind of the answer for what we should do about oracles is that you should make oracles oblivious to their users and that, uh, you should use more than one. So, you know, these oracles kind of their signatures should be composable. Um, and then, uh, Beyond that, you should just be able to enter into kind of a two-of-two two multi-sig where uh, the technology that discrete log contracts use today uh, is uh, called adapter signatures. Um, so we use adapter signatures to uh, kind of make kind of these... I, I guess we can go into the actual scheme if, if you want to uh, for yeah. how these so DLCs maybe work. Just but.
0: just so while we're on this whole Oracle thing, I guess one analogy or one example would be something like let's say people want to make bets on the sport on sports outcomes and then theoretically maybe someday the NFL or the NBA would run an oracle and they would using that oracle announce the results kind of the the truth of the results of who beat who and then you and I might make a bet and our DLC would depend on let's say the NFL or the NBA to correctly state who won, right? But without totally. knowing that you and I made that bet, right?
1: Yeah, and they wouldn't know um, that we were making a bet using them versus you know using someone else. They might, you know, in a in a taproot future, they won't even know that like a DLC happened. Uh, and even in the case that you like make some kind of guess based on chain analysis today, um, that that a DLC happened, you have no clue what it was about. Like oracles can't see themselves in contracts; other people can't see oracles. In, in contracts. They're kind of hidden in the signatures in various ways. And kind of, uh, you know, you, you, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty much untraceable to, to the oracles. And I, I will note though. So I think it, it totally makes sense for like, you know, NBA, NFL, they could publish signatures, not just about like who won, but also like all the stats, right. They essentially, you know, they are these entities that are just amassing a ton of data and, you know, to some extent making it very public so that it can be used in things like fantasy sports and, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, just the extra step of just sign that data uh, is, is I think, not too high in overhead, especially for something like a, a cryptocurrency exchange today. You know, a lot of them are already, you know, signing s- things for like uh, various, you know, Chainlink or Ethereum Based oracles, uh, and I think that it makes a lot of sense for them to kind of just sign their data streams as they go out.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, look, let's talk a little bit through the execution of this. Maybe talk through just an example. Like, what is the funding transaction? What's the spending transaction? What does that look like?
1: Yeah. Say that you and me want to enter into a discrete log contract. Uh, I'm assuming you you know, want to take the position that Bitcoin is going to be over 100K by end of year. <laughs> yep. uh, sure. and, and, you know, <laughs> I, I have a ton of Bitcoin hidden away. So I'm going to, you know, <laughs> hedge <laughs> in this case um, against that. So um, and, and say that, you know, uh, to make the numbers easy, say we're each going to put in one Bitcoin and then winner takes all. So, you know, if it's over 100K, you're going to get all of it. If it's under, I get the two Bitcoin. So how this works is uh, first, you know, we, we do kind of what I just described, which is like, you know, find a counterparty, find someone who wants to kind of take the opposite position from you. And then uh, what the two of us do is uh, we kind of give each other enough information to build all of the transactions that we're going to need. So that means like, you know, I'm like, here are my UTXOs that I'm going to use. Uh, you know, this one has a Bitcoin in it. That's the one I'm going to use. Uh, you tell me about yours. And, uh, then we also, um, kind of agree on an Oracle, uh, who has committed to this event over under hundred K at the end of the year. So we have some Oracle that's going to attest to this event. We agree on that Oracle, uh, say maybe multiple, but let's keep it simple. Just one Oracle. Um, and then, uh, we agreed on the contract terms already. So now what we do is we build a funding transaction which simply takes our inputs, the inputs that we're using that each, say, have a Bitcoin in them. Uh, And so this transaction takes those as inputs and as output. It has um, a single output that we care about uh, called the funding output. And uh, that is just a two of 2 multisig between the two of us. Uh, So while we were talking earlier before building, uh, we each gave each other a public key and then we use those two public keys, these funding public keys to uh, create a two of two output Uh, And this is going to be our funding transaction. So this is the thing that's gonna actually be on-chain, and then we're gonna have a bunch of stuff spending it that's gonna be off-chain. So before we sign the funding transaction, we have to build all of the transactions spending it. So we call these contract execution transactions, or CETs. And CETs are like as simple a transaction, well, almost as simple a transaction as you can get. Uh, They have one input, which is gonna be the funding output. and they have uh, one or two outputs in this case. So in this case, both of them are just going to have one output because it's winner takes all. But you could imagine we, you know, do something a bit more nuanced where we're like, you know, we want to take like some curve, and as the price goes up, one of us gets more and one of us gets less, and vice versa going the other direction. So you know, that would end up with like a bunch of intermediate states that each have different output values, uh, and we would both get something uh, depending on what the price was, unless you know you reach. Some maximal point on either the left or the right. But um, in this case, super simple binary outcome just two CETs that we're going to need. Uh, and in this case, since it's winner takes all, one of the CETs just spends the funding output to my address, and the other one spends the funding output to your address for two Bitcoin. Um, and then, uh, so, so. Now comes the part where we actually, so, so far, you know, we've just kind of built out all of these transactions that, um, you know, we have our funding transaction, which spends our inputs and we have these CETs, which spend the funding transaction. Uh, and here's the part where we actually introduce kind of the Oracle or how we use the Oracle. So, uh, the Oracle, uh, committed to signing this event and they do this with a public announcement. We call it an Oracle announcement. Um, and in this Oracle announcement, they include uh, kind of the cryptographic data that you need to, uh, I think Lloyd calls it, anticipate their signature. So we can't compute their signature because they haven't signed it and we don't know their private keys. But if we know their public keys and this extra public commitment, uh, which is the commitment to um, the nonce that they're going to use to generate this digital signature. So they give you like the public key to this private key that they're gonna use. So with just these public keys, you can uh, con- compute an uh, anticipation of the signature, which uh, this is going to get just a little bit weird, but stay with me. Uh, the signature, w- which is just a number, it's a Schnorr signature, it's just you know, some number, same as a private key. Um, and so in this case, we kind of abuse the fact that it's just a number and we treat it like a private key. And so it has some public key. So you can compute the signature's public key as if the signature was a private key. Um, from just public information, and then we use that public key uh, to essentially tweak our signatures. So when we're when I'm giving you, so right there, these two CETs lying around, you need signatures of them from me, um, so that we know that you know you don't need me in order to execute the contract. You don't need cooperation later. Um, so I give you a signature of both of the contract execution transactions, but it's not a valid signature. It's a tweaked signature or uh, what's called an adapter signature. So essentially with just this public point, kind of the anticipated signature, I can tweak um, my uh, contract execution transaction signature, which I'm giving to you, a lot of signatures here. Um, And the only way you can untweak it is with uh, the Oracle signature that corresponds to that. So uh, to kind of state that without saying the word signature as many times. um, No, I can't do it. Using the Uh word signature a couple times, um, I need to provide you with some invalid digital signatures, which can only be made valid by you if you know a specific Oracle signature. So for example, uh, they're going to say sign the message over or under. Uh, Then for the message over, I generate um, an invalid signature of that. CET, which spends all of the money to you. And for the message under, I anticipate a different signature, and I use that to tweak and give you an invalid signature of the CET that sends all the money to me. And you do the same to me. So we kind of have these invalid signatures from each other. And then, you know, come year's end, the Oracle is going to broadcast just one signature, say over. And in that case, you will then be able to kind of untweak the thing I gave you, the signature I gave you. And now exactly one of our contract execution transactions has become valid. And then you spend that and you get all the money. Uh, so that's in, in gory detail what happens.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So, I mean, first off, it sounds, it it feels very similar to Lightning in some ways, right? Like, mm. let's yeah. say I'm opening a Lightning channel with you. Well, it's a similar kind of flow in some, in some aspects, right? So it's like we are creating this shared output this two of two, and we are passing back and forward a pre-signed commitment transaction to close the channel, right? But in this case, that's like a CET, a contract execution transaction. But the difference here is in Lightning world, the pre-signed commitment transaction is a valid transaction if broadcast to the blockchain. But in, in DLC world, it's not. We're waiting And we need that Oracle signature to make either your side valid or my side valid. And then we can broadcast it to the blockchain and claim the funds, et cetera, right?
1: Yep, exactly. And yeah, so I mean, especially at the very beginning, like just kind of the idea of having a funding output on chain and then kind of a bunch of stuff off chain that doesn't ever end up on chain uh, is very similar to Lightning. You know, we use the exact same funding transaction structure pretty much almost. Um, and we actually were reusing or mimicking at least a lot of what's in the dual funding channel proposal for Lightning for negotiating DLCs. We reuse almost all of it, um, as, it as it stands today. So, yeah, the, the transactions are pretty much almost, I mean, out, there are a couple fingerprints right now in today's implementations. But um, especially in the future, I mean, th- these things are going to look very similar to a Lightning channel. Um, and then another similarity that these have to lightning is, um, in lightning, your payments are kind of enforced using these HTLCs. So you have like some hash and in order to claim these funds, you have to reveal a pre-image. Um, so the mechanism for actual enforcement is also quite similar with, um, you know, DLCs where you can, you can think of it conceptually as we have these, um, potential signatures these anticipated signatures and you can only claim the fund with this transaction if you reveal the pre-image to that anticipation which is the actual signature yeah.
0: okay so we've spoken through what we might call the happy path right mm-hmm. what let's talk a little bit about the unhappy or the failure pathways so maybe an example might be uh what if our counterparty goes offline or they try to cheat you can they or basically they can't cheat you
1: yeah, so um, they cannot in the current scheme. So uh, <laughs> I apologize uh, in advance to anyone, or not in advance, I guess, but I apologize to anyone who uh, is waiting on me to update the uh, blog posts that I've written kind of a while ago about DLCs, but some stuff has changed um, we no longer use any kind of penalty scheme now that we've moved to adapter signatures. And so what's really cool right now about DLCs is, is that um, there is no difference between the kind of happy path and sad path. Closing in either case does not require cooperation. And uh, you can't, I guess there's there's not really any reason to use cooperation since you have all of the signatures you need. Uh, once the Oracle has broadcast their signature, you have... You know, everything you need to just broadcast your contract execution transaction, no need to contact your counterparty. They can be offline. They can be in a plane. They could be dead or, you know, whatever <laughs> the the funds. It's it's kind of fully trustless. You You have everything you need to execute on your own, and there's not really any reason to do it any other way. That is until we get to Taproot when, you know, essentially it'll be nice because you won't have to reveal like your tree and stuff like that. But um, so we'll, we'll reintroduce cooperation there. But in the case where uh, the other party isn't online, there's no weird time locks you have to wait on. There's no uh, infrastructure you have to deal with at all. It's literally just, you know, broadcast your signatures or your broadcast, your fully signed transaction. You're, you're done.
0: Yeah. And so that's the counterparty. Now, what about if things happen with the oracle? So Mm. maybe some different scenarios here. One might be the oracle goes offline or maybe, for example, you and I make this bet and we say, okay, Bitfinex is going to be our oracle. And let's say, I mean, you know, forbid this happened, but let's say Bitfinex went out of business. They went bankrupt or, you know, um, or the other one might be if the oracle lies. Uh, What do we how do we deal with these kinds of situations?
1: Yeah. So in the case where, uh, just to keep it simple, you're using one oracle and it doesn't release a signature or it releases a signature of some weird thing that, you know, uh, they weren't supposed to, (laughs) uh, which you can prove that they weren't supposed to based on their announcement. So it's not like some sneaky trick to like not sign anything. No, like (laughs) if you don't sign anything, you didn't sign anything. And if you sign something you weren't supposed to, people can prove you weren't supposed to prove it because the, in the Oracle announcement, they tell you everything you need in order to anticipate all of the possible signatures. So if you couldn't anticipate that signature, you can use their announcement against them. But anyway, um, so yeah, say that an Oracle goes offline. That's the kind of easiest scenario that you could imagine, or you know something else goes wrong and they just don't broadcast a signature. So our mitigation against this right now, uh, kind of in this scenario where you're just using one Oracle, is that uh, you and your counterparty, when you were constructing all of those CETs, kind of the things spending the funding transaction, you construct an extra one, which is time-locked sometime way in the future called the refund transaction, which just sends us back our funds. Um, so I guess I, I should mention, this is a two of two multi-sig kind of on-chain is, is what's actually kind of what, holds the Bitcoin. So if you want, you can always like break your contract. So long as both parties agree, you can do anything you want. Uh, The DLC is just kind of a way of like uh, agreeing now and then not having to agree later on how the funds should be spent based on what an Oracle does. So I guess, yeah, the simplest answer is we have a refund transaction with the time lock on it, but uh, there's a bit more to the story, uh, which also ties into like, what if they say something they aren't supposed to? Uh, or by which I mean lie, um, and say the price is something that it isn't, or say someone won who didn't, or you know whatever it might be. Uh, so the first uh, wall of defense is you should use more than one or use more than one oracle. You should be using uh, multiple oracles. So that means, uh, for example, in the future, I think people will do something like they do. Uh, you know, when you care about key management with multi sig today, you use like two of three oracles or three of five oracles in agreement, or something like this. So if one oracle lies, the first thing you can do is easily generate a fraud proof and, and like show everyone like, hey, this oracle lied or something went wrong, they're not trustworthy, uh, beware, and you know make that public in a way that everyone can see that they lied because the thing that the oracle presents is a digital signature, and only they could have generated that unless they've leaked their private keys, in which case, also not trustworthy. Um, so yeah, these we we kind of have uh, this property that uh, anytime an oracle does something that you don't think that they should have, you can generate a proof that anyone else can verify that that happened. So that's uh, one benefit, and then this kind of gets uh, much better uh, when you are using say three or five oracles, because now um, not only is like the cost of bribery like if I wanted to go to these oracles that everyone is using. Uh, super high because I need to bribe like three different oracles or something like this. Uh, But also, you know, if I successfully bribe two and fail to bribe the third one who I thought I had in the bag, then these other two oracles suddenly have to like go out of business because everyone can see that they lied and, you know, you didn't even make any money out of it. Um, So I I think there certainly are concerns and I think people should be concerned and think about um, kind of what to do when an Oracle lies and making sure that you are validating that you actually trust the oracles that you're using and using more than one Oracle. Um, but I guess, yeah, kind of the, the conclusion at the end of the day is if you truly like, you know, say three of the oracles all lie in the same way together, like you, you lose that money. (laughs) But uh, to be clear, this is still much better than like something that would happen on a, happen on an exchange where they literally are holding on to your keys. So if they're not trustworthy, like, you know, single point of failure, they boom, all of your money is yeah. gone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh and then, you know, there's other thing, other ways in which DLCs are better as well. But yes, I it, it is fair to point out if, you know, your entire kind of oracle setup becomes compromised, then <laughs> you're going to lose funds. Uh so long as um you know, you can't reach out to your counterparty and come to an agreement about how the funds should be spent. I um, see, yeah. Though I will say there's one last uh, protection that's kind of built into DLCs that's quite interesting, which is oracles cannot say diff- two different things happened, or they can't say multiple different things happened to different people. So if an oracle broadcasts two different signatures for the same event, then uh, they leak their private keys. So I mentioned earlier that how you commit to an event is you commit to the nonce you're going to use. And so if you sign two different messages, you just did nonce reuse. Uh, And if you reuse nonces when you're signing, you leak all your private keys to anyone who sees those two signatures. Uh, And, you know, if you're an Oracle (laughs) and your private keys aren't private, you're not really a trustworthy Oracle anymore. And anyone can see that, you know, they shouldn't be using you.
0: Yeah, so that's a big penalty for them for doing that. And let's say I'm the NBA or I'm the NFL, well, then there's more incentive for me to get it right when I'm announcing the results or the statistics of my games, because as you mentioned, there's a big risk there around nonce, um, well, private key leakage. Totally. In your blog post, you mentioned equivocation. What's that?
1: Uh, yeah, so that, that's the fancy word for saying two different things happened or uh, saying multiple things happened. Equivocation or equivocating on something is uh, flip-flopping, so to speak. Um, yep. Yeah, so that's that's what equi- when, when people in DLC land uh, like to use the fancy word like equivocation isn't allowed because it leaks your private keys. This is what we're talking about.
0: Gotcha. And now this is another thing that I know the Lightning protocol developers deal with, which is the fee market or what we might call the block space market, right? And so as they open the Lightning channels to each other, they might need to periodically renegotiate the fees. So Mm -hmm. a quick example would be, let's say we open the channel or we start the DLC when the fees are low, but then later when you're going to close it out, the fees are higher. How do we deal with this?
1: Yeah. So there, there are a couple of different scenarios and each of them has a couple different kind of ways of dealing with this. Uh, we're super lucky to have Antoine Riard working on DLCs and on Lightning on this problem. So we're, we're using kind of a lot of the same uh, solutions and, you know, we r- run into a lot of the same problems as Lightning does uh, on this issue. So um, one solution for the, f- or I guess this is kind of a, a fee problem that uh, you didn't even, Mentioned because it's not uh, as much of a problem, I guess. But uh, you know, theoretically, you know, we're spending some time signing transactions for each other, and uh, by the time everything is signed, like the fee has moved, and all of a sudden, not even our funding transaction like has a high enough fee or something like this. Uh, well, for that, we can use uh, I think it's bip one twenty five replaced by fee. Um, which uh, allows us to kind of replace our funding transaction with a higher fee funding transaction. Uh, this is not currently implemented in the specs or any DLC things, but um, it's part of the dual funded Lightning uh, channel proposal, and we plan on implementing it eventually. Uh, just early days, so we haven't gotten around to that. Uh, kind of the bigger mitigation that we have is using uh, a procedure called child pays for parent. Uh, which relies on package relay, which we will be getting in Bitcoin hopefully soon. Um, but this is kind of just a, a low level issue where um, we essentially need to transport multiple things at the same time over the net, like uh, in the relay part of the network of just the Bitcoin peer to peer network that is. Um, so we need to tell you about like multiple transactions. Cause like say, My first transaction, say, like it's a CET or something that we signed a long time ago. The fee is like not large enough and the fee has gone up since then. We need to pay more fees. So what I can do is I can spend my CET with just another normal transaction paying myself from myself to myself. Um, And this transaction can have a super high fee. So that combined, if you look at just like the virtual or the Satoshis per virtual byte or something like that, Um, then, you know, now it's an acceptable fee if you look at both of the fees kind of averaged weightedly together. Um, So what we do then in this case is uh, we ensure that uh, any party who might be worried about this transaction getting on chain. So for example, if you're getting money uh, on a CET, well, then you're guaranteed to have an output on there. And so you can spend that output with a really high fee transaction to yourself and then broadcast both of those things at the same time in order to kind of bump your fee rate higher. Um, So that's kind of the main thing we're trying to make sure that we can get to work. Uh, We call these kind of outputs anchor outputs. So you have these outputs that uh, make sure that you can essentially dynamically choose what your fee rate is later by just introducing another transaction with a higher fee rate. Uh, And the same thing goes for the funding transaction, where um, so long as you have a change output on there, Uh, you can also uh, spend the change output on the funding transaction with a high fee transaction. Um, And as I mentioned, this is called child pays for parent. So if you picture like the transaction that doesn't have a high enough fee, we call that the parent and the one that's spending it. So it's the child on the transaction graph pays for the parent's fee is essentially what happens.
0: Gotcha. So essentially we're using RBF and CPFP to... Help deal with the fee problem as well as the anchor output concept, which is also enlightening as well.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> um, uh, and and we we have a bunch of you know similar concerns about you know mempool pinning and all sorts of other really complicated things that uh, Antoine knows more about than I do, so <laughs> I might not yeah, be able to well, answer. Speaking
0: it. speaking of, I mean we've so we've mostly spoken through on chain DLCs. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about what DLCs look like when they're done using lightning
1: yeah so the kind of cool thing about lightning channels is that uh they let you put kind of any output you could put on chain you could theoretically put on a lightning channel so you know we we have our normal ones like two local and two remote are just these kind of plain or sorry two remote is just this plain kind of this key gets these funds and two local uses like a lock time on it with like you know, the revocation spending path and we use Bitcoin script and then, you know, you can put HTLCs on lightning channels and like, that's all in today's lightning. Those are the three things you can put on a lightning channel. Uh, but there are a lot of different independent, well, maybe not all independent. I'm sure they're working together to some extent, but there are many efforts to, um, kind of allow lightning implementations to be more general, uh, So that you can, because in theory, there's nothing stopping us uh, from implementing a lightning node and a lightning channel in which you can, you know, negotiate arbitrary outputs to put on your channel. And so since that's the case, you can put a discrete log contract, like a funding output, uh, you can put a funding output on your channel. So, you know, you have like your normal channel with say, each of us have, you know, two Bitcoin on each side of the channel. And then we like... Instead of moving some amount of funds into an HTLC, we can both move some funds into a DLC that just lives on our channel, much like an HTLC lives on a channel. And then, uh, you know, when the DLC is done and the Oracle has broadcast its signature, uh, we can use that much like you would use a hash pre-image on Lightning to kind of just say we should update, get rid of this DLC, send funds the way that they're supposed to go. Uh, and then do that all without anything ever hitting the blockchain. And then we, because we're using outputs that are compatible to go on chain. Uh, if ever there's a disagreement and stuff does end up on chain, then you can always execute it. You know, the same as you would an on-chain DLC. So essentially, you know, if you think of, you know, lightning HTLCs as a slightly modified version of just like this weird on-chain contract you could do on Bitcoin, which says, like, reveal this pre-image to claim these funds. Otherwise, I get it back after this timeout. We can, you know, take our DLC output as we were thinking about it on-chain and just throw that on a commitment transaction.
0: Right, I see. So we could, I guess, modify that example we did before. And let's say I have a channel open with you. Mm -hmm. And then we can then set up a Lightning DLC. Now, would, would I have to let's say i didn't have enough money in that channel open with you that i wanted but i wanted to bet more than that would i have to like splice or what would that sort of thing look like there
1: yeah so i haven't thought about this before but i'm pretty sure you could mpp or amp uh maybe not mpp you might have to amp but uh yeah in the future lightning network where we have um where we have uh, PTLCs instead of HTLCs and some other stuff, I believe you should be able to use funds from other channels if you're clever. Or uh, yeah, I guess there there is this kind of fundamental issue of um, for things for a DLC to work in a Lightning channel, you do need kind of the uh, available liquidity to go into that DLC. Um, so yeah, there there are a couple different ways you could try and like add to this by using routed DLCs which require PTLCs and some other fancy stuff, uh, barrier escrows um, in particular, uh, to be implemented on Lightning, uh, which we'll get someday in the future, uh, hopefully in the near future, depending on how Taproot goes. But um, yeah, so I guess short answer is you can't really do it if you don't have the liquidity in the channel. Without adding, say, liquidity to the channel, uh, yeah. which is something we'll be able to do someday. But um, the longer answer is, in the future, there will be ways of doing like almost AMP or multipath DLCs <laughs> or DLC-like things using multiple cool. paths, which is going to be weird. But I will note that um, one of the cooler use cases on Lightning, in my opinion, uh, actually doesn't require very much liquidity. so. The idea is uh, to kind of create synthetic synthetic assets on lightning um, using DLCs. Uh, so I think a year or two ago, it might've been two years now uh, there was this paper called the rainbow network or a white paper about something called the rainbow network where you could essentially have lightning like channels uh, that uh, act as kind of synthetic assets. So say that, Uh, you know, I'm a business who wants to use the lightning network, but I don't want to be exposed to BTC volatility. And I do all of my bookkeeping in, say USD. So I want like a lightning channel, but I want to have like USD, like fixed USD value in on my side of the channel and say, you want to go long on BTC USD, the trading pair. Then what we can do is we can open up a channel and like every 10 seconds based on some price feed, we move funds back and forth depending on how the price moved so that I have a fixed USD amount. So say I have like $100 worth in there, but keep in mind, in reality, you know, I have Bitcoin in there. Let's say 10 seconds later, uh, the price went up and I now have like $102. Well, then I have to send you uh, $2 worth of Bitcoin over the channel to your side so that I have a fixed USD amount. And likewise, if the price goes down, you send money over to my side. So you can picture like an abacus or something and the beads are moving back and forth in this channel to make sure that one side has a fixed usd amount the issue with this is that it's kind of fully trusting right like if there's a big price jump uh against you you could just like stop sending money over like just don't send that last payment it's too big or something like that so that's uh the issue that DLCs solve in this situation, so what you can do is rather than just having funds be sent back and forth directly in a fully trusted manner, you can put a relatively small DLC output on your channel to kind of uh, trustlessly hold some collateral. Uh, And so the reason that it's trustless is because if the other party party stops responding, uh, you can just close out that channel and execute that DLC. Um, and get the funds that are in there. So essentially what we do when we update the channel now is rather than moving the funds directly back and forth between us on the channel, you can think of there being kind of like this pot in the middle of our channel. And one person gets to take money out of the pot and the other per- party gets to put money into the pot. So there's kind of this intermediate output that is or, or this intermediate step that, um, that functions kind of the same way, right? At the end of the day, one of us is getting some money, one of us is losing some money, or the other way. Uh, But because the pot of money, or the pot in the middle, uh, is a DLC output, uh, if one party stops cooperating, then those funds get distributed based off of how they should have if they were cooperating. So you can get these kind of fully trustless uh, synthetic asset channels on the Lightning Network, and then what that lets you do is uh, say, you know, I want to have a fixed USD amount and I can have like a wallet that, you know, kind of denominates things in terms of USD. And I can still use the lightning network and pay people who are accepting Bitcoin over the lightning network and receive money. And it'll look to me like I'm receiving USD over the lightning network. When in reality, people were paying me uh, in lightning sats and all, all yeah. kinds of things like that.
0: That's very cool. I could see um, maybe someone could build a wallet service out of that and, you know, kind of market that to the developing world and have it sort of show fiat money on the front end for the user who doesn't need to know all the technical stuff. But in the background, there's actually just Bitcoin moving through the channels and stuff, right?
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, and and honestly, you can, you know, anything you can build a DLC on, you can create that thing as a synthetic asset on Lightning. So I I always like to joke, like, you could take, like, um, I don't know, uh, Cam Newton's stats and, and, you know, have Patriot points, like how well are the Patriots doing today? And, you know, the, the better they're doing, the, the more I have, or yeah, the, the more I have in my channel and <laughs> the worse they're doing, the less I have in my channel. Right. But, if you've uh, got a
0: bet on at that time. Or something, yeah. yeah.
1: But yeah, uh, I, I think the, the more realistic use cases, people will use synthetic assets to kind of uh, either not have exposure to Bitcoin or to have exposure to something else. Uh, while keeping most of their funds fully liquid and just, you know, being part of the Lightning Network.
0: Yeah, very cool. Uh, One other area around private key management. Now, I know Chris has done a talk and uh, I think a a presentation about stuff like in terms of Lightning, which keys are required to be hot. What's the equivalent of that in DLC? Which keys need to be hot and which ones can be kept cold?
1: Yeah, so um, one of the kind of cool things about... um, DLCs once, so I guess there there's talking about like the actual setup, and then there's talking about like you know the many years as you wait for the event to happen, say, or you know it, it could just yeah. be a couple seconds. But regardless, um, in in that latter portion, the cool thing is that you need no hotkeys whatsoever. Like you do not need uh, to be signing anything, even when the event happens. Uh, so long as you just have these adapter signatures lying around. Uh, you can just use your and your counterparty's adapter signatures, untweak them, and get valid signatures without ever touching your private keys. So in, in theory, you don't need your private keys at all once uh, everything has been set up and signed for. Um, so the only time you ever need to touch your keys when doing a DLC is at the very beginning when you are signing all of the uh, contract execution transactions and signing the funding transaction. Uh, but after that, for the users, all of your keys can be cold, which is super cool. Um yeah, and then I guess for Oracles, you know, there are other <laughs> key considerations, but that can, you know, get into some crazy stuff like threshold signing and, and stuff like that. But yeah, Oracles obviously also care a lot about <laughs> how they manage their <laughs> keys isn't. and how hot or cold they should be and, and things like this. Yeah. So we're, yeah. I, I guess this is kind of, a. Uh, we're beginning to, uh, figure out what best practices are for, for oracles and, and clients and stuff around key management, but it, it is pretty early. Um, and even, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, you don't need any hotkeys. Well, right now, like all of the implementations are for wallets like Bitcoin S or whatever else and not yet cold card compliant or, or whatever else. So um, it is, it is <laughs> yeah. quite early, but um, on paper, <laughs> you don't you don't need any of your private keys, which is good.
0: Okay, so let's talk about from a spec perspective and the different clients and so on can you give us an overview there what's the model you're following and give Mm. us a bit of a lay of the land for someone who's not familiar who are the main players in the dlc world and who's contributing to the spec and who's got a client and so on yeah
1: so um the github repo is github.com slash one word discrete log contracts slash dlc specs uh if you just google part of that i'm sure you'll find it Uh, and on here we are building together kind of a bunch of documents, uh, specifying exactly, you know, how to build your transactions, how to compute your fees, how to communicate over the wire to set up a DLC, how oracles should be signing things, all of these different things. Um, currently there are, uh, four work in progress implementations. Uh, when I say work in progress, uh, Many of them are already, or at least two of them I know, are spec compliant and compatible with each other, which is super exciting. Bitcoin S and CFD DLC, uh, which uh, Bitcoin S uh, is an implementation me and Ben Carman of SharedBits have been working on and are still working on uh, adding new features and such. Uh, And CFD DLC is being worked on and maintained by uh, Tibbo of Crypto Garage over in Japan. Uh, and that is a, so ours is, Bitcoin S is a Scala implementation. CFD DLC is a C++ implementation, but it has a JavaScript wrapper. So if you're either in C++ land or JavaScript land, uh, CFD DLC is there for you. If you are in JVM land, so Java, Scala, Kotlin, uh, Bitcoin S is there for you. Uh, there is an implementation called Rust DLC, which Thibaut is also working on. Uh, I think maybe with a little bit of help from Antoine Riard um, and there's NDLC which is a c-sharp implementation meant to be used with BTC pay server which Nicola Dorier is working on um, so those are the four implementations and I mentioned a lot of the people who are working on the specs and on uh, implementing DLC's a uh, person who I haven't mentioned who is also very active uh, Lloyd Fournier is a Square Crypto grant recipient who has been working a lot on kind of the Oracle side of things. And he also is the uh, one who figured out how to do adapter signatures in ECDSA so that we can do DLCs today instead of, uh, using complicated scripts like we were earlier or waiting until taproot. Uh, so we, we use Lloyd Fournier's, uh, cool ECDSA based adapter signature scheme and, uh, He is working on a spec for that. It's not up yet or out yet. But um, as far as the specs that are already out, uh, we have a couple things that are kind of more high level, like there's a resources uh, doc, there is a readme, there is an introduction. So uh, lots of links out to cool things and blog posts and stuff from there. If you're just curious and want to take a look and then there are a bunch of more substantive docs about uh, transactions and protocols and messaging and uh, some more in the works and PRs. Um, yeah, and things are quite active on here. I mean, sometimes it's a bit wavy because we're working on writing some big doc and everyone's debating and then some big stuff gets merged in. But um, yeah, I, I would say there's there's a lot of progress happening and uh, we're, we're getting close to, to some cool things being able to be done right now. You can already on, I think all of the implementations, uh, do simple things like say, bet on a sport sporting event, you know, kind of small number of outcomes kind of things. Um, I'm currently on Bitcoin S, uh, as you know, this week and next, I am working on, um, kind of more generalized, interesting derivative contracts, uh, Based on various things and writing a spec for that, but yeah, if, if you're interested uh, in contributing, totally, you know, reach out. Uh, we kind of all live on the. There are a couple different places. You can come to the shared Bit Slack. You can come to the Lightning Dev Kit Slack, which is where we normally speak for uh, historical reasons because we were originally interested in like m- doing things with Rust Lightning and, and stuff like that. Um, and also, we have a Telegram chat uh, that's less technical. Uh, it's not so much where we communicate for development and more so like, you know, people interested in DLCs, looking for resources and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Uh, I forget what the link is to that, but yeah.
0: Okay, great. Um, and I guess uh, maybe just a final question uh, What are some of the next key pieces that need to slot into place for DLCs?
1: Yeah, so um, a lot of it is just kind of figuring out the low-level details of like, you know, which SIG hash algorithms we want to use on which inputs and, you know, stuff like that. But that stuff is nearly finalized, I would say. We're, we're getting pretty close on that front. Um, so we're, we're nearing kind of a nice stable version zero. Uh, the kind of main and next steps is building out uh, kind of oracles, Uh, So Ben is working a lot on Bitcoin S side of things, building out uh, an Oracle. And I know that Lloyd is also working on his Oracle. And I think Thibaut might also be working on an Oracle. So we're all kind of working on oracles, seeing what works and what doesn't, and working to put together kind of a standard for how Oracles should communicate their announcements and commitments and all of these kinds of things. Um, And then I would say that, uh, yeah, aside from... Uh, kind of standardizing oracles and making it easy and you know open source and all of these kinds of things uh, to run an oracle or you know experiment with oracles uh, as well as DLCs. Um, I would say the next big step that a lot of progress is being made on is um, kind of making cool contracts. So I'm working right now on like uh, a spec that will let you like, you know, take any payout curve you want and just, like, interpolate it with a couple points to succinctly communicate, you know, kind of, like, a general function for, like, you know, do you want, like, a straight line, kind of, like, a colored future, or do you want, like, some curvy thing to mimic, like, some, one of BitMEX's derivatives or, you know, any any kind of contract you want to do on that front. Um, yeah. And, yeah, there, there are, like, so many things. But I would say that that's, that's the main uh, two places that i think uh people are making a ton of progress on right now
0: excellent well nadav thanks very much for joining me today so before we let you go where can listeners follow you online
1: yeah um i'm at oh boy am i gonna get this right i always mess up i'm either n cohen or nadav cohen on twitter let me figure this out You're nadav underscore i'm nadav underscore cohen cohen with a k on twitter uh i don't tweet too much but my dms are open i suppose and if you want to like come bombard me with questions, feel free to do so. Uh, come join the Shredbits Slack or otherwise um the Telegram for DLCs. Uh and also I guess you can email me at nadoff at com. I guess I my my online presence is lacking, but if you have questions, do feel free to reach out.
0: Fantastic. Thanks for joining me.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: I hope you found that a good intro to DLCs and if you like the show make sure you leave a review on iTunes so other people can find the show also show notes available at stefanlovera.com thanks and I'll see you in the Citadels